you have picked a great day to to be in the house of God. We are going to be resuming a message that we started a few weeks back. It's been a powerful message. I hope and pray you've been learning and growing, getting something from this. I I hope and pray you've been hearing from the Lord because it's really a direct uh, commandment, I guess you could call it. Uh, The title of our message is Fight. Somebody say fight. For your field. For your field. We have to fight for our field. Did you know that each and every one of us has a field to fight for? Each and every one of us has a field because each and every one of us are blessed. Blessed beyond we could ever think, see, or imagine. So you have a field. Your life encompasses so many different things, so many different areas, so many blessings from God. You have a field to fight for for your family. You have a field to fight for for your ministry. You have a field to fight for for your job or your business if you're a business owner. You have a field to fight for for your physical well-being, for your spiritual well-being. And each and every one of us are called to stand in truth and fight for those things. We fight for a loving God Because that loving God fought for me. He fought for me through his son, Jesus Christ, who was ultimately pierced, whipped, broken beyond recognition, hung, naked, crucified on a cross for you and for me. So that we could be adopted into the kingdom of God and have a heavenly father that is always there with us, that always fights for us, that never leaves us, nor forsakes us. Amen. So I know it's a little dreary outside. I know it's a little rainy outside, but I hope somebody came to church ready to fight this morning for you, for your family, for your grandkids. It's generational because if you don't fight, no one will. God has blessed you with a field and God has blessed you with a fight that only you can fight. Amen. So this is the topic. This is what we've been talking about, what we've been studying. And so as we kick this off, we use a couple scriptures. I want to I use those again this morning before we get into the new part of our message today. So 1 John 5, 4 through 5. One of my favorite verses, probably one of my life verses. It says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Highlight that. Underline that. Star that in your Bible. That is a promise from God. That's something you can't ever uh, overlook or forget. Whatever is born of God, whatever is born from the Son of Jesus Christ in your life over can overcome the test trials of this world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. Our faith is the victory. Our faith in Jesus Christ is our victory that overcomes those things that this world throws at us. He who, uh, excuse me, five, verse five. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of of God. How do I fight for the field that God has given me? I fight with my faith in Jesus Christ. The fight that we are all called uh, into every single day, every single day, this fight that I'm talking about is not a physical one. It's not one that I can always see, sense, or even feel. It is a spiritual fight every single day. When you wake up and have breath, when you wake up and have life, when you wake up and get up and eat and go to work, you are engaged, engulfed in spiritual warfare, whether you can see it, feel it or not, or even whether you like it or not. If you didn't know that, now you know that. The enemy, let's look at that next point. 
So if I'm fighting, what am I fighting against, Pastor Ian? We have an enemy, an enemy who hates you, who despises you, who is jealous of you, and he is never going to give up. This is why you have to fight. He's a, he's a bully. It's 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober and vigilant because your adversary, who? The devil. We are at war with the enemy, the devil, the Antichrist, who is to come one day, the, the spirit of divination, the spirit of Antichrist in the world that is trying to take this world over, and it's getting closer every single day. I don't know if you've been paying attention or not. Uh, truth has be been called lies, and lies are being called truth. And the Bible says when that happens, be on the lookout because it's getting close. So your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I shared this last week. How does a lion hunt for prey? It stalks, right? Peter was trying to paint a picture for us, but also a lion looks for the weakest, the most alone types of prey. Because why? Because that's an easy enemy, an easy target to devour. So if you are doing life alone, hear me, get plugged in. Find, find like-minded believers who will have your back, who will pray for you, who will walk with you through the pests and trials of life. Find a healthy, giving, life-giving church. If you don't have one, man, we'd love to have you here. We will help you. We'll have your back. Imagine what would happen if the church began to stalk its prey like the enemy stalks us. See, the church has been playing defense for too stinking long. I don't know about you, but I like playing some offense. I like seeing some points scored for the kingdom of God. Come on, somebody. And see, if we would get that in us, that we have an enemy that we despise because he is evil, he is sin. He kills, steals, and destroys any good thing. And if we would stalk him like he stalks us, come on, somebody, what could happen? What kind of victories could take place? Not just in your life, in your kids' life, in your grandkids' life, uh, but in the world, in the church. And we could have a church on fire, casting out demons, taking authority, taking back promised land for the glory of God. Amen. Who wants to fight with me? Anybody? Come on. I want you on my team. Come on. Come on, Jesus. I'll fight with you. Let's fight for Jesus. Amen. Let's look at that first new point this morning. So today what we're going to do is, we're talking about fighting for our field. What I really want to do is this point in a deeper sense. When you are engaged in a battle, when you're about to go into a battle, you have to first know who you are. You have to know what you can and can't do. You have to begin to study your enemy, understand what they uh, can and can't do, who, who they are. And there's another whole uh, aspect to what we're talking about today because without God... Nothing's possible. He makes the impossible possible. And so we have to know who our father is. Y'all know who your father is? Come on, somebody. Don't forget who he is. He is love. He is peace. He is joy. He is power. He is truth. He is the way, the life. And we, are, if we believe in Jesus, if I've been born again as a believer, all those good things are available to me. If you're not born again, I promise you, Today, there will be a moment for you to do that, to accept 
Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But if you haven't done that, what are you waiting for? If you haven't done that, the devil's probably having his way with you. <laughs> and you don't have peace and you don't have joy. And you may be in a dark place. You may be depressed. But there is hope this morning. There is hope because he is fighting for you. So we have to know our Father, know who our God is. We have to know what we're fighting for. As we kicked this off a few weeks ago, I said, begin to pray and ask God to show you what your personal field looks like. Because, you know, each and every one of our fields are totally different. Your field encompasses so many different things than the field that God has blessed me with. And so you have to, when you see what you're fighting for, now I have motivation. Right now I can see victory. I can maybe even taste victory. And God begins to give me a plan to fight for those things that he's given me. Right? And Satan you got to know your enemy. He is the father of lies. There is no truth in him. Now, he uses truth. Remember how he tempted Jesus in the desert? He uses even the truth of Scripture and twists it and manipulates it. He even used it in the garden. Didn't God say? He wants us to doubt and even second guess. Right? So that first point, it says the key to our spiritual warfare is you must know your enemy, know yourself, and know God. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the enemy, who he is, begin to unpackage some schemes of the enemy and how he works and tries to literally push his way into your life. To kill, steal, and destroy you. And to get you to make decisions based on pressure. When God just wants to leave you. So we're going we're gonna to do those that compare and contrast today. So let's, i got three quick scriptures I want to give you just to paint a picture of who your enemy is, who the devil is. It's, it has a common theme and a common thread in these three scriptures. Look at Job 1.6. We read a lot of Job last week because the enemy, the devil, actually went to God asking permission to kill, steal, and destroy Job's life. And so it says, One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord and the accuser, Satan came with them. If you're following along in your Bible, go ahead, underline, accuser, Satan. Highlight that. The next scripture, Zechariah 3.1. It says, Then the angel showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and the accuser, Satan. If you're following along, you might be catching along to what, I, what I'm trying to convey to you. I want you to highlight that, underline that. The accuser, Satan, was there at the angel's right hand making accusations against Joshua, in Revelations 12, 10, it says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for what? The accuser of our brothers, the accuser of the church and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God, uh, excuse me, accuses them before our God day and night. I want you to see that Satan, there is no truth in him. He is an accuser. He points his finger. There's a way of life that he wants us to live, not even at, but beneath. He wants you to feel lost, condemned, that there's no hope in your life. And so the enemy, he is an accuser. He accuses so that we might share in the same, somebody say same, condemnation that he shares. That same condemnation that he lives in. Because if I live in that condemnation that he... See, there's no hope for him. Come on, somebody. He even knows the ending and he's still fighting. 
Because if I can get and begin to live beneath what God calls me to live at, and even beneath that, people are living beneath not just what God calls them to live at, beneath what, who they actually are, it makes him happy. Like a, a mean, jealous, angry person. Because they're in condemnation just as I'm in condemnation. This is who your enemy is. He is jealous of your position because you have hope. He's jealous of your position this morning. He's jealous of the field that God has blessed you with. And he's jealous that you can hear truth and even choose truth if there's life and breath in your body. Because every day is a choice to choose God's way over the world's way. To choose God's way over the way of the world. And he don't like that about you. Amen. So let's look at that next point. So I hope I've proven to you through scripture that, that Satan is just that. He is an accuser. But really, there is a, a point behind the way he operates, a point behind his accusations. It's because he wants to condemn us. He wants us to feel condemned, less than. Satan uses the sins, mistakes, regrets of our past, and the missed opportunities, even of today, of the present, to bring accusation and condemnation against our lives. Yes, I have hope in Jesus. But also, yes, I've made mistakes. I have to battle sin every single day. I have to guard my heart. Right? I'll fall. But I still have to get up and fight. And, and the whole scheme behind the feeling of condemnation in your life brought to you by the enemy, the accuser, is to get you just to, to quit, <laughs> to give up, to stop fighting. Because when you stop fighting, what has happened? The enemy has prevailed. The kingdom of darkness prevails in that moment, in that instant. And so Satan wants us to constantly be second-guessing ourselves, and not even second-guessing ourselves, second-guessing God. Did God really say that? Did God really give you that vision for that dream in your life? Did God really save you? I mean, look at all those things that you did. All those dark sins, those dark secrets that you did in the dark behind closed doors where no one was watching, those things that you secretly enjoyed. Can Jesus Christ really save you from that? Yes, he can. That's when you have to tell the enemy, get off my back and under my feet in Jesus' name. But isn't that how he works? He wants you to roll over so that he can prevail in your life. And then what happens when you roll over? He doesn't quit. He says, I told you so. Don't you hate people like that in the world? I told you. Don't hate them. Love them. <laughs> Forgive me, Lord. Isn't it aggravating when people say that in the world? I told you so. That is how the enemy works. And when you second guess who you are, 
And when you second guess who you are in Christ, what happens? Not only do I lose, but I become doubtful. I live in doubt, and I also become passive. You know what's one thing I know about being doubtful and being passive? You can't win battles that way. No one on the face of this planet has ever won a battle, ever won a football game, a basketball game, ever got a victory for the kingdom of God because they were doubtful and living in passivity. And we have many, many Christians, I think, that are constantly battling this doubt and battling this this passive spirit. You know, Jesus Christ was not passive. (laughs) To be a believer, you got to just, you got to begin to walk by faith. And doing that means, yeah, it's going to be maybe scary at times. God's going to push you out of your comfort zone. He's not going to give you the answers and the details of how he's called you to do that thing he's called you to do. He just wants you to do it. And so we can't be passive uh, and living in doubt. We can't win battles this way. We can, though, be confident and decisive when I remember who my father is. Amen. Know who your enemy is. Know how he operates, but know who your father is also. Amen. So look at that next point. So this condemnation that the enemy uses against us, it it causes us to what? We actually end up judging ourselves based upon the works of myself. And God calls you to judge your life based on the works of his son. (laughs) See, none of us can live up. But the enemy can get you to judge your life based upon yourself or the standard of that standard that you've set in your life subconsciously and how you judge others. <laughs> See, they didn't live up to my standard, so I'm living up beyond that standard that I've placed on everybody else, so I'm doing good. You know, you're not called to do that. We're called to just live based on the standard that Jesus Christ has set himself. But what happens is then I be, that, that condemnation comes when I fall short in my own, my own eyes, my own life. Uh, and then the unworthiness and the, the forgiveness of freedom and justification that comes through the finished work of Christ. The world may never forgive you, and the world may condemn you, but what's the good news, right? Well, you all know it. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus does not come to do those things. There will be a day of judgment, but when God judges you, that's going to be probably the number one question. I don't know, but it's going to be, is Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Did you trust God with my son? I mean, did did you trust God and my son with your life, with the life that I gave you? Did you trust Jesus Christ with the fields and blessings of life that I gave you? And there'll be, it'll be a yes or no answer. God will be able to know. So this morning, are you trusting God with your life? Right, because the enemy wants us to to feel lost like there's no hope. He wants us not to have that forgiveness because when I experience those things, what happens? The life of Christ begins to rise up in me and I begin to actually believe and see that I do have hope and that God has a purpose and plan for my life. So the enemy wants us to feel the opposite of those things, condemned, lost with no hope, right? But this is what I do want you to, to see and understand, living for God. When I live for God, if I believe in Jesus Christ, I have hope. There's no condemnation. I'll prove that to you here in Scripture here in a moment. But I do experience conviction. Somebody say conviction. Do you know there's a difference between condemned and conviction? So 
Conviction is actually a healthy thing. That means the Spirit of God is working in you, helping you to identify the things I'm doing right, the things I'm doing good, and the things that I'm doing wrong, the things I'm doing bad. The difference between condemned and conviction, condemned, there is no hope. The devil is living a condemned spirit of life. There's nothing he can do. He is lost. He wants us to feel the way that he feels. But the difference is, conviction is, there is hope. The only thing I have to do is turn to God. That's the only thing you have to do. It may look dark. It may look hard. It may look depressing. I don't know where you're at today. But literally, there's hope because all you have to do is turn to Jesus. I hope that doesn't sound cliche and you know, but it's so simple and profound. That's all you have to do. Begin to trust him and seek him and be in relationship with him. When I ask him to come in my life, don't just, uh, okay, thank you, God, and go about and do the thing that you were just doing. Right? Grace is different. It calls us, it raises us higher. And that's where that conviction comes into play to actually help us stay, staying living victorious lives. Because the things that I'm convicted about are the things that the Holy Spirit has given me to show me how I need to live following God, following Jesus. Because these are the ways that God and Jesus wants me to live. Amen. Look at Romans 8, 1 through 3. Y'all are really smart. I know y'all can probably uh, recite, excuse me, recite this, these verses in this, this passage of Scripture. Verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no... Condemnation, y'all sound good this morning, to those who are in who? Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. This morning, I know I've done ask you, I'm going to ask you again, do you belong to Christ Jesus? Who do not walk according to the flesh. So there's two parts to this, to your freedom. Do I belong to Jesus Christ? That's a yes or no answer. And am I walking not according to my flesh, but to his spirit? That's where that conviction comes in to help us and propel us moving forward, right? But according to the Spirit, it says, verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, uh, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He came, he was all God, but he came in a body like yours and like mine, and on account for sin. He was the answer for sin as he was crucified to the cross, right? And that last, that last sentence, it says, he condemned sin in the flesh. So there's no condemnation for any of us who belong to Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus actually condemned sin. <laughs> that jumped off the page to me this week. I never saw that scripture that way before. Why am I not condemned? Because Jesus actually turned the table on the devil. He condemned sin. That's why there's no condemnation in me, because I belong to him. He says, if you belong, I'm the vine, you're merely the branches. If I belong to Christ, there's no condemnation, because Jesus himself condemned sin, evil, Satan. He did that for you and for me. Amen? He did that for you and for me. Look at John uh, verse 8, or chapter 8, verses 3 through 12. Uh, for time's sake, Miss Brittany, let's, uh, let's skip to verse 7, please. It says, they kept demanding, this is, let me, let me explain where we're at. So, y'all remember this passage of scripture. Jesus is in the square, and the Pharisees bring an adulterous woman into the town, right? 
and, and they're all gathered, and they, they're trying to put Jesus on the spot because she's actually guilty of the adultery, but they just want to see what Jesus is going to do. They're trying to trap him, right? So verse 7, it says, They kept demanding an answer to the Pharisees. So he stood up again and said, Excuse me, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Jesus says, Okay, I hear what you're saying. Anyone who has not sinned, you be the first to get this party started, so to speak. You, you throw the first stone. The law said if you were guilty of adultery, that actually they could stone you to death. Verse 8, then, the, then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust, when the accusers, we've been talking about that this morning, haven't we? Satan? See, when Satan isn't, when you don't feel Satan accusing you, what does he do? He uses the world to accuse you also. All those that are lost, all those who are being living in, living in and driven by hate, he uses them to pile it on even more. And so they were accusing her. They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. This is what I want you to get. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. This morning, God is speaking directly to you. He's saying, no one in the world is without sin. I see your sin, but there is no condemnation in your life if you believe and trust my son. We don't have to be condemned if we don't want to be. You can live in condemnation if you choose. What did Jesus do? He said, I don't condemn you, but get up and go and sin no more. That's where that passivity has to go. You have to believe in your heart that you're not condemned. And then you actually have to get up and do the hard part. That's where you begin to fight for your field. That's where the fighting takes place. That's when you begin to pray, when you begin to fast, when you begin to seek God with all your heart, when you begin to get plugged in through a healthy, life-giving church, when you begin to get plugged in in, in small groups and, and engaged in your ministry gift and, and asking God what it is he wants to do in and through you. And that woman had to, in that moment, make a choice. That same choice that you and I have to make today is to believe that I'm not condemned if I believe in Jesus, and then I have to get up and do something about it. Stop being mad at God and get mad at the devil. Get mad at the enemy, not on your loving father who accepts you. Right? He accepts you just as you are, but he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he wants to do more. He doesn't want to just leave you there. You know, uh, we became parents this last year, and Xander's about to be a year old already in like three weeks. And it goes by so fast. Everyone tells you how fast it goes. And I'm, I'm torn. Like, I'm so excited for all the fun things we're going to get to do. But at the same time, it's like I'm sad because he's not a baby no more. And the Lord just keeps reminding me, he can't stay a baby forever. And, and our spiritual lives are the exact same. We have to start out on <laughs> milk, right? And, and then we graduate to, to bigger and better things like steak. I was just checking to see if y'all are awake. I, I, I like my medium rare. Just in case y'all are dropping steaks off somewhere. Somebody's house. 
So we don't have to stay condemned unless we choose to stay that way. you got to get up out of your pit. Some of us maybe aren't a pigsty. How do we get there? We put ourselves there. And just like the, the prodigal son, he had to come to his senses and get up and go back to his father. So get up and go back to your father this morning in Jesus' name. Look at that next point. Satan knows if we live under this black cloud of condemnation, if you don't get up and you stay in your pig pen, eventually it's going to lead to death. Okay? We'll live in isolation and separation, robbing us from the fruit of our field, robbing you of the blessings of God. Uh, And that condemnation causes us to forfeit those things, the blessing of God, the influence, the field of influence we talked about a couple weeks ago that God gives us. And we literally just stop showing up. I put in parentheses and added a little extra into my personal notes if you want to. You don't just stop showing up. uh, You stop fighting and you stop sowing. It's when you stop fighting and when you stop sowing. And when you do that, that's exactly, you, you've, you've bought a lie somewhere, a lie from the scheme of the enemy, uh, and you've given up. When you feel condemned, you'll, you'll no longer fight. And when we give up, we're right where the enemy has us. Alone, in despair, depressed, discouraged. The main thing I want you to get is you're alone. Somebody say alone. I want to share a quick little story of my personal life. Right before I moved from Michigan to Arab, Alabama at the end of 2012, I was in the darkest place in my whole life. I had already been born again and got saved uh, in Teen Challenge. I don't know if you've heard of that or not. It's a men's home, a year-long program. And I, I was born again. I got saved. I lived for God for about two and a half years. I graduated the program, stayed on the staff. And I basically ran away from God. Uh, I chose a woman. That didn't end well. Because I did my will over God's will. I, I, I chose my way over what God said. That relationship didn't last long because it was built on, not on the word of God. And I was intentionally living in sin. And so... I had gotten a job and had gotten an apartment, and we had been living there uh, together out of wedlock. Your pastor, for three or four months, and we got into a big fight, and she left. Long story short, I eventually turned back to my drinking. And when you get born again and you get set free from addictions and, and these types of things, when you go back, it is way worse than it was before. Why? Because now I know the truth. Now I'm accountable. Now I'm intentionally choosing sin over God. And at the end of this, I'm, I, I'm probably on a three to four week bender. I got fired from my job because I just couldn't show up to work because I was so drunk. Uh, I was about to lose my apartment. My, my landlord said, you're getting kicked out tomorrow. And I was alone in a dark dark place and you better believe I felt condemned I knew God I loved God and I chose my way and now I was about to have nothing no job no place to live my mom was already doing that motherly love she said you can't come here she knew what I was doing 
I wrote, began to write the letter. I began to write that letter. And I guess I blacked out and passed out. But when I woke up that morning, I just remembered I have somebody I can call. And that's when I called my friend Andrew, who was down where? In Arab, Alabama. And I'd love to see your face now, devil. Now, it didn't just all change in a blink of an eye. Ian had to make some, do some hard things. Ian went through some tough challenges. I stayed and graduated the men's home that we have, the Sunshine House. And God began to just to wreck my life and to, to grow me and advance me. And now I'm doing things I never thought I would do. But I'm sharing this be, because... When you get to that place, I hope and pray you never do. If you have been there, you understand. If maybe you're about to enter into that, just know that that breakthrough that God wants to do in your life is just, somebody say just, on the other side of that wall of exhaustion. It's just on the other side of that wall of exhaustion. And the enemy presses you the hardest when God is about to do the biggest thing in your life. The enemy knew if I can get you now, all those things that are going to come are not going to happen. He wanted to steal not just me, but my field, my family, my ministry, my kids. Xander wouldn't be here if I didn't get up and fight. You have to get up and fight. Look at Philippians 3, 12 through 14. It says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. I don't share that to say, hey, look what Ian did. I'm far from perfect. Paul was saying the same thing. He says, but I press on to possess the perfection of which Jesus Christ first possessed me. I press on, he says. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Don't give up. Press on. Don't give up. Believe. Don't give up. Trust God. Press on, he says. When I don't give up, what am I doing? I'm fighting. I, I'm actively engaged in spiritual warfare. When I don't give up. You have to fight for your life. Our faith is never without trials. Our faith is never without tests. Our faith is never without not knowing all the answers. If we, had, if we lived a world without all those things, why would I need my faith? That is the whole point. God wants you to have your faith fully, fully engaged in Him. Do you love me enough to believe, to do the things I've asked you to do, even when it's hard? Even when your flesh is crying out for that guilty sin that you enjoy, whether that's drugs, alcohol, pornography. Is it really that hard when you look at what Jesus had to go through? In those moments, are you really fighting? Are you really saying no, devil, or are you just saying, you have to actually actively begin to spiritually fight in those moments of weakness. 
And your strength can't come from you. It can't come from within. It has to come from above. Come on, somebody. That's how you win. You have to look to him. And then he comes. Amen? Then he comes. Let's look at the next point. So as we kicked this off this morning, we said we need to know God, we need to know our enemy, and we need to know ourselves. We've looked at the enemy and how he is, uh, how he operates. Now let's look at God and how he calls us to fight and who we are fighting for and who is fighting with us. God is fighting with you. Look at that first point. God uses affirmation, somebody say affirmation, to strengthen us. The enemy of the devil uses condemnation. God uses affirmation. The enemy uses condemnation. God uses affirmation. When that happens, it strengthens us. He calls us out and he calls us up to be that person he has created us to be. God loves you. God is proud of you. God sees you in your pigsty and he calls you out and up. He says, if you make the first step, I'll help you along the way. But you got to make that first step. That first step is always the hardest. That first step is always the hardest. So God loves you. Know that. Don't just know that. Believe that. See, most people know that God loves them. They've heard that all their lives. But do you believe that he does? Don't just know that he does. Do you believe that he does? Because when you believe that he actually loves you and has your back, you'll change the way that you live. There's nothing like the affirmation of a father. I hope and pray that all of you or most of you had a loving father that did the things a father's supposed to do. If you didn't, I'm sorry. That was not how it was intended to be. God still loves you. God didn't do that. When I look to my earthly father, he did a great job of always affirming me. Calling the man inside of me. And he'd show up to my games and he'd say how great I did. and All those things. When a father does that, it does something on the inside of you. It makes you stand taller. right? It, it makes you walk conf- more confidently. That's what God wants to do on the inside of you. When that happens, it, it strengthens us. It encourages us. God only sees your good moves. He, he sees the potential in you. Y'all heard the story of the two fathers that went to the football game? So one father invited his, another father, his friend, to come watch his son play football. His son was an, was an all-star running back. The best in the, the league, the county. Setting all sorts of records. He said, come, come, come see my son play. Come see my son play. He says, okay. So they go to the game Friday night. And they're sitting down. The game's getting started. And uh, his team finally gets the ball, and they get ready to have, have the first play. And it, it goes to his son, and they hand it off, and it was a train wreck. The defensive line blew through the offensive line and got his son on a 10-yard loss. And the father that got invited was thinking, what am I going to say? His son maybe ain't that good. Before he could even answer, the other father looked at him and said, "Did you? That, yeah, yeah, but did you see his one good move? Did you see that one juke that he had? That's the affirmation of a father. God sees your good moves. When you feel ramsacked, when you feel sacked for a loss, God sees those good choices that you did make. God sees that potential inside of you to live for God. 
and do those things. And God wants to affirm you this morning to say, keep trucking, keep fighting in the name of Jesus. Look at Ephesians 6.10. This is right before Paul begins to lay out the body of armor, right? Y'all remember that scripture? On how to be prepared to fight and how to fight and the body of armor that the Lord equips us with. But before he gets into all that, he says, at verse 10, it says, A final word, be strong. Somebody say strong. In the Lord and in his mighty power. Be strong in God and be strong in his power. Nothing else. The only, excuse me, the only way that you can win is by abiding in his strength and abiding in his mighty power. It pleases God when you use his strength and power. I know when Xander, as he grows and begins to do things, it's going to give me joy when he borrows the good things that I've given him. Come on, somebody. Your father has some good things that he wants you to use, that he wants to give to you. All you have to do is choose. And when you use those things, you'll experience victory and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and long-suffering and love and forgiveness and all these things. Look at that next point. Satan uses condemnation. God uses affirmation to confirm his presence and power are with us. We are never alone. You're only alone if you choose to be. I think I've said that already today, but you are only alone if you choose to be. If God be for us, who can be against us? God is with you and for you. He is fighting for you so that you will get up and fight. Look at Joshua 1, 5 through 9. And so we find Joshua, right after Moses has died, imagine this, Moses who has been leading the entire Jewish community, the Israelites, through all the things that they endured, and now a new mantle is being passed. I can just imagine what Joshua was thinking or going through, thinking, how am I going to lead all these people? You know, when you lose a good leader, you feel it. And he is having to rise to the occasion. And what is God doing? He is affirming him in this moment to say, you can do this. Right? Look at verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the instructions that Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything that you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is what? With you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous and even encouraged, because your God is with you in the pain. 
Your God is with you in those moments of doubt, in those moments of second guessing. God is with you. Be strong. Be courageous. Borrow those good things that God wants to give you. Strength is available to you. Courage is available to you. When you're fighting for your field, be strong, courageous, and encouraged. Our God is with us. Look at that last point, or second to last point, excuse me. God uses affirmation to confirm we are his children and that he loves us. you got to believe that God loves you. Look at Matthew 3.17. God did this even for Jesus. After Jesus conquers and defeats the enemy, fasting 40 days and 40 nights in the desert, he comes out, comes to his cousin, John the Baptist, who is baptized in water, and as Jesus comes out of the water, being baptized, God says this, and suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What was God doing in this moment? Affirming his son. Building him up. Saying, this is my son that I am well pleased. That I, Praising his son for what he was about to do. And it's only through his son that we get to share in the blessings of God. It's only by his son that I'm adopted into the family of God. Have you been adopted and affirmed into the kingdom of God? The last point. Accusation is from the enemy. Affirmation is from the Father. Know your enemy. Know your God. Victory. Somebody say victory. Victory. Happens when you respond to the right voice. So this morning, which voice are you listening to? Which voice is even louder in your life this morning? Which voice is louder in your life? To hear his voice louder, you must first be saved. And second, you have to be in real relationship with him on a daily basis. Which voice is louder in your life this morning? Is it a voice of accusation, condemnation, less than, guilt, shame? Or is it a voice of reassurance? Is it a voice of hope? Is it a voice of love? Is it a voice that says, I see you, I love you, and I accept you? Because whichever voice is louder this morning in your head is probably the master that you're serving. The only way you can hear his voice louder is you have to first be born again. You have to be saved. And second is you have to begin a relationship with him. Would you all do something for me? Would you close your, close your eyes and bow your heads? And this morning, if you're here in a sanctuary or you're watching us through our online via video feed, I want you to sit in his presence this morning, and I want you to, to ask that question right now. God, which voice is louder in my head? Am I hearing your voice, or am I hearing my own voice, or is it the enemy's voice? God, I just want to hear your voice right now in this moment. God, speak to me. Make that your prayer. God, speak to me. Show me. So right now, as I hope and pray, God is speaking to you and showing you where you are. I want to ask you a question. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior? If you haven't, right now I want you to make that choice so that you can 
experience a life like you've never experienced, a joy like you've never experienced. You can even experience those things in a tough place. God can meet you and comfort you right now. He's real, I promise you, and he's alive, I promise you. And he wants to be a part of your life, I promise you. And so right now, if you want to make that decision, I want you to do something for me, please. I want you to do something for him, too, so he knows that the message is being sent, that he knows that you're hearing what he's saying. So if you want to make that decision right now, I want you to stand up. Stand up right now for Jesus Christ. He was crucified for you. The least you can do is stand up for him if he is speaking to you right now. So I'm going to give you a few moments if you want to make that decision. Get right with God while you can. You know what? If you're watching at home, I want you to do the same thing. Stand up. You can even put that in the chat. Say, type I'm standing up or, or put in a, a raising hands emoji in the chat so we can see that you're making that decision. One of our online facilitators are there to pray for you. A few more seconds. If you want to make Jesus Christ your Lord today. Amen. You know, I still want to lead us in a prayer this morning in case someone is making this decision online and I can't see them. So I want you all to repeat after me, please. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. We hear what you're saying. We accept your son, Jesus. We believe in your son, Jesus. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord over my life. God, help me. Lead me all the rest of the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Awesome. Well, we love y'all very much. Thank you so much for coming. I hope you enjoyed uh, the service today. I hope you heard from the Lord. Amen. So y'all are dismissed. Come back and see us next week. Be blessed.